0: Blessings to you. We're continuing our study of the First Corinthians. And today I've titled the message, Shepherding in Christ. In the previous messages, I've titled messages uh, in such a way. Leadership in Christ, servanthood in Christ, stewardship in Christ. And today I want to talk about another dimension, another type of leadership, and that is shepherding type of leadership. So let us read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 to 21 together. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? Amen. In chapter 2, Paul had already indicated that the Corinthians and especially in his relationship with them, he wanted to impart to them the spirit of wisdom and discernment in Christ. He talked about receiving revelation by the Holy Spirit. He talked about the fact that we as Christians we are spiritual men and women. We do have the mind of Christ. He talks about all that. And rightly so because you know the Corinthian church was known for their spiritual gifts. And we will be studying that in chapters 12 and 14. And they were highly highly gifted. A highly spiritually endowed church. You might even say that they were prodigies in the spirit. But perhaps because of their giftings, because of their revelatory knowledge and inspirations and all kinds of manifestations flourishing in their midst, they had a problem with spiritual pride. And at the same time, According to Paul, in chapters 3 and 4, they really lacked the type of wisdom they really needed. Wisdom and discernment. This is what Paul is talking about. And I believe this is so relevant to the churches today, especially the church in Korea and many churches in America and all over the world. What we need is wisdom and discernment. Do you not agree? Not just revelation, not just the latest, you know, message that's going to help us to break through and adapt to the pandemic. What we need is true wisdom and true discernment, which will guide the people into the right direction. And so Paul reprimands the Corinthians as not having such wisdom and discernment, rather they are fleshly and worldly and very, very immature, and he accused them of being mere humans. And as I mentioned, Paul doesn't mean that we are not mere humans. We are mere humans, but we are more than that. There's a dimension of us that we do not know of. There's the potentiality that we are not in touch with. We're not just mere humans, but we are made in the image of God. And we have tremendous power and potentiality that we might call spiritual or supernatural within us. And so Paul says, you're just mere humans, just very immature and worldly, because you quarrel, you bicker, you, you fight over this and that, and there's no unity in this body, and you have this great idolatry over this type of leader or that type of leader. And so in this context, Paul defines what true leadership is. And he already defined leadership in terms of servanthood. And last week we studied that leadership has to do with servants who are truly stewards. And the key word to identify stewardship is faithfulness. Paul is saying we must be faithful in everything that we do. And especially regarding the common purpose that we all have establishing everything on the foundation of Christ and Christ alone be faithful to that every single servant of the lord every single christian will be judged based upon this did you build anything on top of any other foundations except me he will say and if you built your little kingdom here and your your little tower of babel here and your little idol here and there they will be all tested under judgment Day. So, first of all, we're going to be tested on whether we've been found faithful in establishing everything on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Secondly, whether we've been faithful in our specific given talents. We all have been given specific talents in Christ, we have been given gifts, potentials, powers, resources. And what are we going to do with that? And that's going to be tested on that day. And in order to be a truly great servant and steward, each one of us, we need to relinquish our personal desire for fame and popularity, and especially the sense of ownership about God's people and God's resources. This is a problem that we see in Korean church. Spiritual leaders think that what they have built up, their ministry, they building their resources. is theirs. It's not. It's not theirs. And the whole idea is build it all up and hand it back over to the Lord. And hand it back to the future leaders who are going to take care of that. Just like them as servants, stewards. But it is not their own. You know what is the opposite word or concept to that of stewardship? It's ownership. Claiming it as mine. Declaring as though this is something that I've inherently received from the Lord. It's not. We relinquish all the ownership because we are simply servants and stewards. The Lord is the master. He is in charge of all these things. He is the owner over all these things. Today I want to talk about another dimension to leadership besides servanthood and stewardship. And that's found in the very text that we have read. And that has to do with shepherdhood. Now, we Protestants, we identify with the title pastor, pastoring, pastorhood. It's a concept very similar to that. The higher churches like the Anglican Church or the Roman Catholic Church, Eastern Orthodox, they would prefer the title father, fathering. But i chosen the word shepherdhood because I, I think it's very intimate that we're dealing with a flock of people that have been given unto us and how we shepherd them. That's the, that's the key. And I want to say three things about shepherding. First of all, a shepherd knows how to nurture his sheep, a father knows how to nurture. children. Mother knows how to nurture her little children. So the first characteristic of shepherdhood is nurturing and nurturing them properly in Christ. Let's read verses 14 and 15. I am writing this not to shame you but to warn you as my dear children. I think this is a good attitude for us to have, if we are in the business of shepherding, taking care of anybody, okay? our business is not to shame them, ultimately, but to warn them. Warn them of what? The dangers that lie ahead of them if they do not abide by certain principles. And then in verse 15, he says, Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have become your father through the gospel. And the term here for guardians is gogoe, And it's the term that refers to slave guides who have been assigned to take care of their masters' children, especially sons, supervising their general conduct, take them to school, their tutors, and basically educate them. They were simply instructors or guides. But they didn't have any more responsibility than simply that. They were doing what they were told. They didn't really have to have a heart for these children. you know. And it's just for a season and time. And this is what Paul is saying. There are thousands of these people like that who will teach you for a moment seasonally here and there. And they're just doing their duties. We're indebted to our school teachers. You know, they receive their pay and they do the best they can to instruct us and educate us. In the churches, we've seen ministers, uh, you know, they preach the word. And for a season in time, we sit under that teaching. Or nowadays, we could, through the internet, we can receive hundreds of teachings, thousands of teachings. They don't even know us. But to a degree, we are being nurtured by them, And we should be thankful for that. But Paul says, I'm different. I'm one of those real persons that you should call me as a father. Now, why do you think Paul is saying that he should be recognized as a father amongst all these guardians? How does he stand out? Well, first of all, he was the one instrumental in birthing this church. This is a a rare, rare situation in which Paul actually had hands in birthing and discipling the founding members. And yet, this is the very church that turned his back on him and gave him the hardest time. And he says, if there's anybody who may be recognized as a father to you, I should be, because I was the one who helped to birth you in the gospel and watched you, nurtured you. Constantly tried to communicate to you through my apostolic team. Now I'm writing this letter to you. What was Paul's intention that was different from other guardians and other teachers who had influence upon these Corinthians? I believe that he really had a nurturing heart. We're seeing other writings that he's, he's almost like a mother, you know, nursing the babies. And because he's going to ra- have to raise them up and give account to the Lord. And that's how I feel like that as a father to my daughters, and I'm sure Jamie and Mijin and Song Yun, to your children, raising them up, and then being proud that now we can hand them back to the Lord and to the society. That's what it's about. And Paul is saying that's the type of heart that is needed to shepherd the people of God, nurturing them, just like they're babies, and seeing how they grow and raise them up. But this is a rarity. Even in the body of Christ, it's hard to say that we can be fathers and mothers to every single member of the body. But we should. We should be to certain people, that we need to spend time maybe to the end of our life and be responsible for to guide them and nurture them. And some of them may be members of the church, or some of them may have left the church, but you're constantly being connected to them, and they see you as a father figure or mother figure. And Paul wasn't right there at the Corinthian church all the time. He found himself distanced. He could barely visit them. And yet, he says, you look unto me like a father, then treat me like a father, and I'm going to treat you like children. Second characteristics of shepherdhood is that a shepherd needs to model to the sheep or to the people. Verses 16 to 17. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Paul has such an intimate relationship with the Korean Corinthian church that he could say this. He says, I urge you to imitate me. Now, that's not easy to say sometimes as a leader. And Paul says in chapter 11, he says, follow my example as I follow Christ. I'm following Christ. Do you not see that? Now, follow my example. But we should be able to do that as parents. We should be able to do that as church leaders. We should be able to say that to the people who are working, you know, In our shops, our partners in the business, whatever that we may be doing, if we're in the position of influence, we should be able to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, how could Paul possibly say this? How could he have that clarity of conscience that he could make a judgment call like this and say, I've searched. I've examined myself. But remember, in verse 4, he said, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. But I can tell you, my conscience is clear. I've done the best I can to lead you in the way of righteousness in imitating Christ. And then he had a witness to this. He says in verse 17, Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, will remind you of my way. You have to have witnesses. You can't just go around, you know, self-proclaim, you know, I'm Christ-like, follow me. Even to the children, if you go and say, follow me as I follow God, you know how you know, strong in faith that is? That's not going to do unless the mother also says, yes, follow dad, because he's truly godly, or vice versa. Amen? We need witnesses. So in the church, if a leader goes and says, follow my example, this is how to pray. This is how to study the Bible. This is how to love the Lord. This is how to do work of evangelism. And no one's saying amen to that, especially the elders. They're folding their arms like this and looking down and they're saying, yeah, but you got this issue with money. You got, you know, you had this affair some time ago and you got this issue and that. Well, if they start pointing that out, your testimony will fall to the ground. You have to have others who are affirming that. doesn't have to be many, but you got to have some. You know, remember in the Old Testament days, the prophets, when they spoke, sometimes, you know, the entire community came against them. Like Jeremiah, he stood up against all these kings, all the priests, all these false prophets. The people turned against them. But you know what? Even in the case of Jeremiah, a very unique case, it seemed like everybody was against him. There were some witnesses, those who stood by his side and said, we've seen Jeremiah. He is truly a prophet of God. We need to cultivate and nurture people like that now. our midst. Very important thing. He says in the second part of verse 17, my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in Every church. See, he's emphasizing his lifestyle. His philosophy of life. The way he operates in action. He's not just talking about words. Words are cheap. Words can easily fall to the ground. I am a preacher. I speak those words. But whatever I say to you guys, if I cannot back that up with my life, it means nothing, really. I can fool people. I can fool the audience. The message that goes out on the internet People have no idea. It's my life that has to back up. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in this, then you could save people and you can save yourself. Today, what is lacking is we got doctrines, we got teachings, we got concepts and notions, but we don't have life. You know, one thing I'm realizing is that true discipleship happens through life. I've tried to disciple people long ago through my teachings and ideas. And more and more, I look back, I was so foolish in so many ways. And maybe it took me this long now, maybe I, I might be able to show through my life. And I want to do that, maybe perhaps after I retire. I don't want to talk so much. I want to show through my life well this is the beauty of having a family no matter who you are as a public figure you know me as a pastor me as a professor means nothing to them if I can show them through my life through my attitude my kids pick up everything and my wife you know she's super sharp so they will not take anything I may become the president of the United States it means nothing to them if I botched that in my life. And so that's the greatest discipleship for me, for me to become a better man, to have people who demand that my life, my behavior lines up with my teaching. And that's what true modeling is. Jesus did not just go around teaching, then here just end up being another type of a Pharisee. No. Or one of this kind of a supernaturally endowed, revelatory-minded person. With all words. But Jesus operated in deeds, with his attitude. People picked that up. That's why people gravitated toward him, because he really had it together as a servant of God. Final characteristic that I want to point out is that of disciplining in Christ. This is important. I'm not just talking about good stuff like nurturing and caring and loving and pouring your heart of love onto others or being a good model to them well, there is a responsibility on the part of a shepherd or a father or mother to discipline their flock or children or the people of God. Discipline is very, very important. Look at what Paul says in verses uh, 18 and 19. Some of you, have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out, not only how these arrogant people are talking, but po- what power they have. Okay. okay, sometimes the flock is at fault. Sometimes the children are at fault. Sometimes your disciples are at fault. And Paul says, okay, let's test it out. Let's test out whether your words, your accusations are based upon power or it's just just words. And then Paul says in verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And I believe that he's talking about not some kind of brute force for power, but he's talking about authority. Does it have weight? Does it have gravitas? Gravity. So the kingdom of God has to do with relationship with God that is played out in such practical, experiential, transformative way. It is such a powerful testimony. It's not just words. It's not just ideas. It's not just fluffs something that is so solid and substantial in terms of practical working out in the daily, everyday life. And so Paul is able to talk like that. I think leaders, we need to be able to talk like that. I don't presume myself to be a perfect leader. Of course not. I'm far from perfection. And maybe that's why I'm limited to talk about a lot of topics. I usually don't preach about a lot of topics. I preach the Bible but when I do thematic studies, I only concentrate on the things that I really embodied, but I've demonstrated in the public or in my family life. But I do have to say that whatever I do, if I want to become a better leader, better servant, better steward, and better pastor, then I really need to demonstrate everything with power and effect. Because, you know, the words don't mean anything unless it's backed up by proof and evidence of our life. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Amen. And Paul was not afraid of that. He was not afraid of people nitpicking and saying, well, you you sound like you're you're a self-righteous person. No, no. He says, I'm not self-righteous. And I may be wrong, even though I think I'm innocent. But the thing is, I am trying my very best to be consistent with what I teach. If I teach, I need to invest in living that out. But how much time do we invest in living that out? And when I look at myself and people like me, professors, teachers, pastors, I wonder how much we invest ourselves in living out the message instead of just preparing to Prepare the message. Paul is very authoritative about this. He says finally in verse 21, What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? He is not afraid to come on strong. But of course he wants to, or he prefers to come with love and gentle spirit. And that's what parenting is about. That's what pastoring is about. That's what leadership in the society is all about. Basically operating with this gentle spirit of love. That should be the primary thing. That when people see you, they don't, they don't want to constantly be shaking and trembling like you're a dictator, you're a tyrant, you're like a, you know, you know power-hungry person. No, they have to feel loved. But at the same time, They have to have this fear that you're not somebody so light that you could just push over or, you know, you can topple them down. No. Paul had a strong sense of spiritual authority with which he can say, I can come with a rod of discipline. Remember in Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack anything. And he goes down and talks about how the shepherd actually cares for the sheep, providing the water, providing the pasture, providing a comfort zone where they're all surrounded and protected and laying the table you know, so the sheep can feast on. But he does say that the shepherd operates with a rod of discipline. Because you know the characteristic of a, of a sheep is sheep is typically very stubborn and very blind and they're very nearsighted <laughs> and they really need guidance they really need instruction so sometimes you know the shepherd has to really nudge the sheep you know the sheep has thick wool and you know plump <laughs> nudge sometimes you have to do that without that kind of pressure from leadership whether it be a church leader or parent leadership or a boss working in a company raising up you know future leaders Things will not change. People will not change. So let us remember these three characteristics of shepherding. Nurturing, genuinely nurturing. It's all about nurture. It's not occasionally just doing it here and there and hoping some miracle happens. Really nurturing from from point zero, from their birth. And taking care of them, meticulously investing in their lives and raising them up to the end. Secondly, modeling for them. Be an example because they watch everything. They hear everything. And it seems like our children are pretty sensitive, so we better really watch out, right? Right? they're sensitive. They they catch everything, you know. And so... uh, if we messed up in the earlier years, then we need to repent and, and show them from now on. There's, there's redemption in this. You know? We can do it now. Even after the children are grown up and married, they're still watching you. They still need you as role model. And I think there's nothing that encourages children than the parents who have been a role model to them. They can look up to them and say, wow, it is possible in this world to find human beings like that. and They're my mom and dad, you know. That's what we want. That's what we want to be. And then finally, disciplining in Christ. Don't be afraid of discipline. That's your job. That's your authority. You relinquish that. You will spoil your people. And so when it's time, you need to discipline them and speak strongly about that Because the kingdom of God is not about talks and ideas. The kingdom of God is about power and manifestation and transformation and being really consistent in both words and deeds and lifestyle. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.